0: Welcome to the Shear Law Group's podcast of Truth Serum. Law, real estate, and everything else that matters. Shear Law Group represents lenders, landlords, and investors throughout the state of California, with offices in the San Francisco Bay Area and Orange County, California. Laws change daily. Economic trends change faster than at any time in history. Ignorance is not bliss. And the unwary and unprepared get punished if they fail to keep up. If you want insightful information on issues of interest to the real estate lender, landlord, or investor, you've come to the right place. Add on some colorful commentary on everything else that matters, and you're now ready for Truth Serum with your host, Spencer Shear.
1: Truth Serum wants to thank Heartwood House for becoming a sponsor of the Truth Serum podcast. Heartwood House is a world-class medical detoxification facility that's located in Marin County, California. Alcohol or drug addiction doesn't have to destroy your life or the ones you love. There is hope. For more information about Heartwood House, go to www.heartwooddetox.com. That's www.heartwooddetox.com. Heartwood House where addiction meets compassion and recovery. Welcome to part two of Truth Serum's three-part series on the 2022 midterm elections. In our first episode, I interviewed John Graves, a noted expert on election integrity, to determine if the electoral process has been compromised and what the prospects are for free and fair elections in the 2022 midterms and beyond. In part two, I'll be interviewing Jim Lee of Susquehanna Polling and Research, one of the most preeminent polling and data research companies in the nation. In a time where America is more divided than any time since the Civil War, Jim will provide polling and focus group data on issues of concern to most Americans as we head into the November midterms. Is crime and control of the border a primary issue in the election? Do Americans believe that biological males should be able to compete in women's sports? Should gun control laws and Second Amendment rights be strengthened or weakened? Who's best able to provide positive change, Democrats or Republicans? Stay tuned as we examine these issues and much more. But first the news. While inflation has most Americans worried, inflation's cousin, shrinkflation, is also starting to take a bite out of most Americans' paychecks in sneaky ways that you may not notice. Shrinkflation, or its sneaky cousin, sneakflation, occurs when manufacturers try and hide cost increases by shrinking the amount of the product you get or making you pay for things that were previously a part of the product. You may note that even if prices are stable on some of the things that you buy, that you're getting much much less product for the same price. Next time you buy a bag of potato chips, check out how much of the bag is air and how many chips are in the bag. Or toothpaste, where the tube's only three-quarters full. But now this phenomenon is also being translated to higher-cost, durable goods like cars, where companies like BMW now charge you separately for heat in your seat on many of its new models that previously provided heated seats standard and at no cost. Shrinkflation, coming to a store near you. In polling results released on July 14th, Alignable's Small Business Revenue Report revealed that 47% of small business owners say their businesses are in jeopardy of closing by this fall. So what's causing these concerns? Inflation, higher than normal gas prices, rent hikes labor issues a still broken supply chain reports of reduced consumer spending elevating interest rates recessionary fears and last the fact that most uh, that many businesses haven't recouped losses from the 2020 uh 2021 pandemic yet given these statistics it's no wonder that in another recent poll 63 percent of small business owners said that inflation has been more damaging to their business than COVID was Crooks and fraudsters, beware. It's clear to me that the pandemic unleashed government spending and debt forgiveness that was well beyond what was needed. It allowed many people and businesses to game the system. On August 5th of this year, President Biden signed two bills extending the statute of limitations for prosecuting PPP and EIDO fraud cases. They extended the statute to 10 years. The bills give the federal government more time to catch and prosecute fraud related to two of the most popular COVID small business relief programs, the Paycheck uh, Protection Program, PPP, and the COVID-19 Economic Injury Disaster Loans, EIDLs. In October 2020, the U.S. SBA Office of Inspector General identified $78.1 billion in potential fraudulent EIDL loans and grants and another $6.7 billion in loans and grants linked to alleged identity theft. And last year, the agency identified more than 70,000 PPP loans that totaled more than $4.6 billion that were potentially fraudulent. Think about those numbers for a minute. And some good news for lenders, SB 1323 is officially dead. True previously advised of the dangers of the bill, which would have created two foreclosure tracks. One for properties with equity and one for properties without equity. For properties with equity, the foreclosure trustee would have had to re, uh, been required to appraise the property, select a real estate agent, list the property for sale, and among other things, pick the best offer. It would have made a mess of an already complicated non-judicial foreclosure process in California. The bill is gone for now, but look to the California legislature to bring it back next year in a different form. And finally... Can you serve legal process like a summons complaint via an NFT or a non-fungible token airdrop? Looks like you can, but the question is, is it really legal? At least two courts have authorized service of legal process through the delivery or what they call airdropping of non-fungible tokens, NFTs, to the Ethereum address of defendants using false and fictitious names. In other words, someone stole another person's Ethereum address to defraud And the court allowed an airdrop of the NFT with a link to the complaint to serve the alleged fraudster with the complaint. It's very creative, but it's clearly troubling as to whether such methods of service are effective to really notify the owner of a public address about the court action. And practically, even if the service is proper, why would an anonymous party reveal himself or herself and submit to the jurisdiction of the court? Look for more and more creative approaches by courts using the same tech that people use to hide from scrutiny, like Bitcoin with its distributive ledger uh, technology, to find these people and hold them accountable. Truth Serum wants to thank Iron Oak Home Loans for becoming a sponsor of the Truth Serum podcast. Iron Oak is a full-service portfolio private money lender, and it's a servicing company. It's located in San Ramon, California, helping its investors to achieve maximum return by investing primarily in California real estate. For borrowers, not all borrowers have AAA credit and sometimes need a lender who understands and who can get you a loan when you need it most. Iron Oak can help. Great service and great people. If you want more information, go to www.ironoak1.com. That's wwwironoak the number one.com or call Rich at 925-803-2465 or call Christy Mathers at 925-281-2809. Now, stay tuned for my interview with Jim Lee, the CEO of Susquehanna Polling and Research. Jim and I will discuss the polarization of America on issues such as abortion, immigration, inflation, crime, and parental rights. We'll examine the likely impact of these issues on the 2022 midterm elections, and if America is going back to its roots, we're to a brave new world. James Lee, you're the president and CEO of Susquehanna Polling and Research Incorporated. It's a nationally recognized survey, research, and polling firm conducting polling, research, and focus group analysis in over 20 states in the U.S. Your research and your polling data has been used by national platforms from Fox News to MSNBC, from the Bill Maher show to Rush Limbaugh. Your firm's been cited for polling accuracy by CBS's Inside Edition. And your firm obtained a B plus rating from 538 for your polling accuracy and data and polling from 2020 battleground states. This was the same grade that was given to Gallup. Jim, welcome to Truth Serum.
2: Thank you so much Spencer, nice to be here with you.
1: You're welcome. I want to ask you about some specific issues impacting the midterm elections in November, but first uh, generally take the temperature of the mood of the average voter in the U.S. Is he or she looking for a radical change, do you think, or to maintain the status quo? Is there hope or is there fear?
2: Well, that's a little dramatic. Um, You know, I I think uh, voters this year, the polling suggests that the enthusiasm among Republicans is up uh, more so than it's been in the last few midterm cycles. And that... uh, probably suggest a decent year for Republicans in terms of the congressional seats that are up for re-election. Um, however, like anything else, elections are about getting voters to think about what you want them to think about going into election day. And there's also strong evidence, particularly from Gallup, which you mentioned before, that the percentage of Americans that are concerned about issues like gun control and abortion are higher than they've been because of mass shootings, which of course has led to a a temporary spike in the percent of Americans concerned about those issues and that impact on their communities and the Supreme Court ruling on abortion. So there's evidence to suggest that Democrats are also enthused more so than they've been in prior midterms. But by and large, I wouldn't say people are looking for radical change. I would suggest to you there's the fight between R's and D's about what this country is going to stand for in the next five to ten years. And that, I think, is really what's at stake on the ballot.
1: Good. Generally speaking, are Republicans... Or Democrats seen as the party of change, or voters uh, transcending party affiliation and heading for more issue oriented uh, responses?
2: Republicans, by and large, since they're the party out of power, um, since the Democrats control the White House, the Congress, and the Senate, Republicans are viewed primarily as the uh, party of change. And That's the case, I think, Spencer, they'll be making this November, which is if you like high gasoline prices, if you like record inflation, if you like 200,000 illegals flowing across our southern border on a monthly basis, by all means, keep the same incumbent Democrats in power. But if you want those issues addressed, and in particular, the economy and Immigration and the economy, I'll talk about a little more because the polling by Gallup, Spencer, shows that Republicans as the party is the Republican Party is more trusted on the economy than Democrats by a double digit margin. And that is a huge reversal from 15 years ago when Democrats led on that question of which party do you trust? So there's been almost a sea change in the perception that the American public has about who's in a better position to really tackle this economic recession that we're now in. So I think that's gonna be a pivotal issue in November as well.
1: Great, let me give you, I'll give you my personal take. And again, I usually don't, but I'm interested in seeing your response. My take's that the combination of the pandemic And the death of George Floyd poured gasoline on the fire of the cultural division that was already simmering in this country. Do you think it's accurate? And is there a move to slow things down and restrict government overreach in general, do you think? Or is that a a peripheral issue? Uh,
2: No, it's not a peripheral issue. Um, You know, I think what you're talking about there is the infringement on individual liberties or rights to some extent, because COVID certainly is an issue that very much polarized our American electorate um, in terms of mask mandates and um, you know stay at home orders and uh, vaccine requirements to vaccinate employees of large corporations and federal workers and healthcare workers. And we asked a poll question in one of our surveys for the Federalist this year, a nationwide poll. And it really, I think, encapsulated the different viewpoints Republicans and Democrats have on the issue of COVID mandates. The question basically said, given the way this country has handled COVID the last two years, do you think that government mandates, including vaccine mandates, business closures, school shutdowns, by and large, have those government mandates helped the country more than they hurt or hurt the country more than they've helped? And the results are fascinating, because by an 8 to 2 margin, 80% to 20%, Republicans say they've hurt the country more than they've helped those mandates. Democrats, the exact opposite. By almost an equal 80 to 20 margin, Democrats believe that those vaccine mandates, those school shutdowns, those shutdowns of non-essential businesses, have, by and large, done the country more good than harm. That, to me, is breathtaking in terms of how far apart the parties are on a critical issue like that. But on the issue of individual man, individual liberties, I looked at some very fascinating polling, because there's a strong case to be made, Spencer, that Americans have actually enjoying more freedoms today than we were 10 years ago. There's been advancements in medical marijuana and legalization of recreational marijuana that has expanded individual rights. There's been protections for um, and and safeguarding of gun rights. There's been advancements and improvements made in religious freedoms. Just think of the football player, the football coach from Washington that was basically told he couldn't pray at halftime um, on the field. The Supreme Court ruled he was entitled to do that and rejected the argument by the school board. So you can make an argument that Americans have more freedoms. You can also make an argument, Americans have lost more freedoms today than they have 10 years ago. Just look at what the Supreme Court did on abortion. Just look at the way COVID has cracked down on our personal liberties in terms of our ability to operate a business or go to school or not get a a vaccine if we don't believe it's, it's safe and effective. So there's a lot of mixed data about whether freedoms have increased or decreased. Where I'm going with this is the polling shows that by and large, most Americans, including Republicans and Democrats, believe they have less freedoms today than they did 10 years ago. And in the future, believe they'll have less freedoms 10 years from now than they do today.
1: Fascinating dichotomy. Now, I guess a lot of it comes from where where you start from. I mean, I guess uh, some of the religious victories that they won, I mean, uh, I think the religious right would probably argue that uh, you've come from a place of so much diminishment that uh, it's a small but uh, meaningful victory. Others would, would say the same thing about abortion and gun control, but let's drill into some of the uh, various issues, your, your, uh, your takes are appreciated, and let's see if we can get some data to support them. Let's go to the economy. You talked about that, and I thought that was uh, very telling, uh, and I think you're saying that uh, that there's almost a double-digit uh, margin in the, uh, the opinion of who's best able to change the economic direction of this country. Can you expand on that a little bit with your polling data?
2: I sure can. Um, this is a poll by the Washington Post and ABC News. It was uh, conducted April of this year, so it's, it's fairly recent. And they asked Americans, they asked uh, a thousand Americans, which party do you better trust to handle these issues? And one of them was the economy. And by a 50% to 36% margin, that's a 14-point spread, Republicans in this nationwide sample, um, were preferred over Democrats as the party to trust on the economy. And that's a reversal according to what the Washington Post and ABC News uh, longitudinal data that they've supplied. Um, those numbers were practically reversed in 2008 when Democrats held a 52 32 lead on that question.
1: Question on this, I'd like just to drill down on that. So, is it just because of the recent uh, rise in inflation and the and the dramatic impact that's had on people, or is it the economic policies themselves, like big government spending versus austerity and balancing the budget? What's the reason for these numbers?
2: Well, it's an excellent question, and I think it's probably Spencer a little bit of both because there's some anecdotal evidence from what I've seen in the polling to suggest that some of the economic policies of the Biden administration have, in fact, um, you know, put this country in a worse position. But there's plenty of evidence to suggest that that's not what's going on. Um, You know, inflation, there's a lot of evidence to suggest inflationary upticks have a lot more to do with the supply chain disruptions that our country has faced. A lot of Democrats believe that a lot of this originates from the COVID pandemic and that inflation was guaranteed to go up because of that. Gas prices are one of those very controversial topics where in polling, Republicans will say, it's the Biden policies that have been very punitive towards the energy market in our country. Democrats will say, no, it's, it's Putin, it's Russia, it's uh, oil companies hoarding profits because they're sitting on record profits and not sharing those. Um, with consumers. So there's a lot of mixed data out there. But I will say one thing in our nationwide polling, again, for the Federalist, this was an an April survey we did for them. And this was fascinating because we asked in April of this year, has the economy gotten better or worse? And by a 66 to 14 margin, most Americans said it had gotten worse. Now, think about this. this. That poll was done in April. We had record job growth. The first two quarters of the of the year record job growth right we didn't no one really knew we were gonna have two consecutive quarters of contractions in our gdp the job growth numbers were historically high the unemployment rate's down under four percent and yet you have two-thirds of americans that say the economy's gotten worse and then in the next question we asked will our country experience a recession in the next six months this was a couple months ago 75 percent of americans They're not, they're not dummies. Our country, these are smart people in our country. 75% of our countries in this poll said we will experience a recession in the next six to 12 months. I think they're smarter than some of the Fed people running uh, the inflation uh, projections. So I think my point there is, my point there is, um, Biden gets low marks for the economy in terms of how he's handling it by Republicans and by independents. Democrats, by and large, in our polling shows, still give the president pretty decent marks for handling the economy. They do not perceive that these problems in our economy are the fault of deliberate economic policy, but rather the natural progression of COVID and the pandemic and supply chain issues and the international conflicts we're having now, all that they believe. Democrats believe is contributing to the economic um, stalemate that we're in now.
1: Great information. Let's go on to the next subject. How about gun control? We talked about that a little bit. Uh, the topic is is certainly heated up uh, in light of uh, the school massacre in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, the, the Senate just passed what they call the Safer Communities Act bill to strengthen background checks and provide funding for local and state agencies. Is this just a one-off or is there a clamor for more comprehensive uh, gun control legislation?
2: Well, there's, there's a clamor for it, but I don't think the political will is there um, to really um, get us to the kind of meaningful reform that a lot of progressives believe we need to have. And by and large, Spencer, it, because the, the, the current legislation you're talking about At the end of the day, you know, it was kind of like a half a loaf is better than no loaf at all when the public's clamoring for something to be done because polling does show there has been an uptick in the percentage of Americans that want something done on gun control. And I mentioned earlier, it is an issue that ranks second behind the economy. Number two, in terms of the top issues that will influence a voter's vote choice for Congress. Gun policy is number two from that survey I mentioned by Gallup before. That's that's pretty impressive. So the kind of legislative package that I think a lot of progressives would like, I don't think is on the horizon because the political will isn't there. But I wanted to show you, share with you some data. Despite the. Seesaw, see, see. Um, size, monumental gap between Republicans and Democrats on the issue of gun control, Spencer, because there is a, a massive gulf between the way Republicans and Democrats view this issue. There still is, and I found this in our focus groups and in, our, in some of the nationwide polling we looked at, when you get into specific proposals, Americans by and large support some of these things. Here's some, some good ones from the Gallup survey. Expanding background checks, 92% support. Red flag laws, which obviously are proactive to try to keep guns away from people that shouldn't have them. 86% support nationwide. 30-day waiting period before you can purchase a a firearm, 77% support. Raise the age from 18 to 21 to buy a handgun, 76%. With numbers in the 70s and 80s and 90s like this, there's no even there's no point to even look at the crosstab data. You got a majority of voters of both political parties, and that's that's very significant.
1: That's great data. I a little follow, one follow-up question, one anecdotal uh, uh, story is that again, I do my own little version of man on the streets, and I was surprised when my wife and I went across the country interviewing people. Surprised at the amount of people that uh, were very vocal about gun control. But as follow-up question is, is there a counter push? Or any sort of uh, voter momentum for preservation of Second Amendment rights to balance that out, or is it pretty much just going one way?
2: No, I think there is. There are a, a number of states that are looking to safeguard and further um, expand gun rights um, to things like um, a concealed carry permits is, is a big one. I just saw another state advance that legislation. So there are plenty of GOP dominated states where the legislatures are trying to do just that but but the problem with where we are now as a nation because when I was looking at some of the historical data on gun control it's it's one of those topics that it's you hate to say this because of the mass shootings but it's out of sight out of mind that the longitudinal data shows we see a spike in the percent of Americans that care about this issue after a mass shooting For instance, the Gallup poll I mentioned was done basically in early June, May 24th, was when we had the Uvalde, Texas mass shooting. So we see a spike, and then you see a lot of flurry of activity. But here's the rub, and this is why I say I don't think the political appetite is there for a more robust gun control package in Congress. In our June survey, our nationwide June survey, I tweeted this, these results, This really, I think, captures where we are as a nation on mass shootings. We asked a simple question to a thousand Americans and you know, you you judge for yourself if it's it's straight up or if it's biased. Will stricter gun control laws reduce mass shootings in America? That's what I wanted to know, yes or no. We did this in June. It's only two weeks after the Uvalde Texas shooting. Republicans 79 to 18 said no. Democrats 68 to 26 said yes. In other words, 79% of Republicans said, nope, stricter gun control laws won't reduce mass shootings in the country. 68% of Democrats said, yes, they will. Independents split 50-50. There you have, I think, the crux of where we are in a Congress and in a political climate where the Democrats don't have super majorities, to really pass that kind of sweeping legislation. You still have a majority of Republicans telling the Republican congressman, absolutely do not vote for anything more stringent. This will do nothing to reduce mass shootings.
1: Great information. All right, now I want to make sure I get you out of here before 2023. So let's go to the next topic, which is immigration control and border security. We touched on that a little bit. I saw something in March of 2022, the Center for Immigration Studies published statistics showing that there were approximately 11.3 million illegal immigrants in the U.S. And I think many people believe the number is actually very much higher. Illegal border crossings are skyrocketing, as you said. Uh, many people are concerned that drug smuggling and human trafficking are a- actually just out of control now. So what's the voter sentiment on this issue?
2: Well, the voter sentiment has basically flipped. Um, In the, the survey I referenced earlier by the Washington Post and ABC News, which was conducted in April of this year, they asked a series of metrics to Americans and asked them on each issue, tell us which party you trust more to handle this issue. On immigration, by a 43 to 40 margin, Spencer, Republicans are more trusted than Democrats. And incidentally, and parenthetically, when I say nationwide poll, By and large, most nationwide polls include a little more of Democrat voters than they do Republican voters. Just so when I say a a number comes back that leans Republican, that's actually pretty significant since our country is still more Democrat than Republican in terms of actual registration. But back to my central point: Republicans lead now by three points on that issue. That doesn't sound like a big deal, but why it's a big deal is because in two thousand six, again I'm citing longitudinal data. The number on that same question was that Democrats were trusted by a fifty to thirty margin over Republicans in two thousand six. I mean that is a pretty big flip, and I think it's those news reports of you know illegals crossing the border and concern about to what extent you know we're bringing in COVID um, individuals into our country and. So the political climate seems to favor the GOP on this issue, but it's a real roll of the dice in terms of how influential and impactful this issue will be, Spencer, on election day. Because in this polling I've looked at uh, from Gallup about, you know, the top issues that will influence a voter's vote for Congress, um, basically immigration ranks fourth out of a list of seven. So it wasn't in the and now it's higher with Republicans and Democrats, but it's not catching fire with a lot of Democrats and it's a little more muted with independents. So I'm I'm not convinced it, it's a wedge issue in November, like the economy will be.
1: But let's let's drill down the, on that one for a second, because I had a little follow-up that pretty much on the same direction you're going. I many people have expressed uh surprise that Latino voters seeming, uh, seem increasingly uh, determined to support conservative candidates that want to enforce immigration laws, and like the election of uh, Myra Flores in Florida. Are Latino voters a sure bet for the Democrats in the midterms, do you think, or are they starting to trend Republican?
2: Um, well, all, all the evidence and the exit polling that I've looked at shows they are starting to nudge their way um, towards becoming more independent and less Democrat is how I would say, it. I mean, even Trump, you know, doing as well as he did in, in Florida with, with uh, Cuban, you know, Hispanics and, you know, in Miami Dade County in Broward, he still didn't overperform George Bush 20 years ago, who set the high watermark for a Republican presidential candidate getting a huge chunk of Hispanic vote. George W. Bush got 42%. But having said that, um, it's, it's definitely an issue that I think a lot of Hispanics in our polling and in the focus groups I've done, it's really more the social issues and the economic issues. The border itself, Spencer, when I've done focus groups with Hispanics, they haven't said to me, that's a top issue. They support legal immigration and they're not in favor of illegal immigration by any stretch. I, mean, I just did a focus group with Hispanics. That's not where they are. But they care more about their gas prices in their pocketbooks, surprise, surprise, just like the rest of us Americans. So I think that the Hispanic voters and one Hispanic voter in a focus group said to me, and he was a former Democrat, He said, Jim, I didn't I didn't leave the Democratic Party. They left me. And he was talking about some of the radical policies that progressives are now, you know, really trying to advance in schools. Things like critical race theory, um, the erosion of parental rights um, from curriculums. Those were the types of policies that the Latino voters that I spoke with said were really pushing them away from the Democratic Party. So I think Republicans will probably overperform a little bit in different districts around the nation this November, but I'm not prepared to say they're going to win Hispanics. They'll probably just do a few points better in some in some areas.
1: Great. All right, let's switch over. You just I stole a little bit of my thunder, not too much. Let's talk about education and parental rights. Uh, the Youngkin election in Virginia indicated that uh, parents believe that the educational system was intruding into the parent-child relationship and they had gone too far by promoting, as you said, issues like uh, critical race theory or uh, gender reassignment. Is this a concern to voters across the country or was it a particular issue uh, related to the voters in Virginia?
2: Uh, It's very much, um, I think, more widespread than than just the Virginia governor's race, Spencer. you know, this this little, um, you know, rolling storm on parental rights has been building since 2005. There's a case called Fields versus Palmdale School District. And parents argued that the school violated their rights because they weren't allowed to know about a questionnaire that the kids were being provided that included sexual topics. And the parents weren't even allowed to know about it. And the school board sued them. And the the Ninth Circuit Court ruled in favor of the school district and against the parents, saying the parents' rights to nurture their kids stopped at the school door. And that's what's basically inflamed this cultural war we have now on parental rights. And you know where we are now? I wanted to show you this. I know this is graphic. I don't know if your viewers will want to see this. This is a picture of a page out of a Book from a school library in K through 12 showing graphic sexual intercourse between a male and a female, and in one picture, two males. This was given to me by former Congressman Lou Barletta, who, by the way, just finished second in the nomination for governor of Pennsylvania. Uh, He was a congressman for 10 years in PA. And this is the cause celeb of many conservatives right now, which is that. Parents don't know that these kinds of pages are in our school book libraries. And the Yunkin race was, I think, a pivotal point because it really, I think, simplified the issue between R's and D's. And I brought some exit polling polling from that race, Spencer. Among parents that were interviewed leaving the polls, parents that said we should have a lot of say in what our schools teach, they voted for Yunkin by a 77-22 margin. Among parents that said, no, nah, we should only have a little bit of input into what our schools are teaching. They broke for McAuliffe by a 77-23 margin. So I mean, there you have it right there.
1: Well, um, will this transfer over, does that, first is it is it a, on the scale of most important or least, where does it rank and then will it uh, transfer over to uh, states like where I live, California, where, who are very, very much uh, progressive education states?
2: Well, um, I don't know where it ranks because I haven't seen any polling where it really puts this issue into context of the midterm elections. I, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's probably an issue that fires up the Republican base a little more and probably adds to that enthusiasm factor I mentioned earlier. But um, we did some polling actually in the last few weeks in the, in California, and um you know, I can't go into details about the districts we were in, but we were in parts of uh, L.A. County. And um, I can tell you that we tested the critical race theory um, issue. And we asked a simple question. I wanted to share this with you. So this is from a portion of L.A. County conducted one week ago in a down ballot race. So, you know, nothing statewide, but, you know, county, state, state assembly, city council, those would be the races that that this would play in. And the question was basically, should CRT be taught in the school boards?
1: And CRT meaning critical race theory.
2: Critical race theory. Should that be taught in schools? And the margin was among Republicans, 67% no, among Democrats, 51% no, among independents, 62% no. So I say that to say, um, there seems to be something to this issue where, you know, you're, people weren't looking through a partisan lens when they really evaluate the extent to which they have you know the right amount of autonomy and input into their school curriculum. And um, and this was in a school dis- this was in an area of LA County that you know is fairly racially mixed.
1: One follow-up question does, does this uh, is there any evidence from your polling or your, or your uh, focus group uh, research that parents are exiting the public school systems for either private school or homeschooling, or or is, is that an issue that I uh, You've you've been able to uh, get information on.
2: Well, some of the data I looked at during COVID was that that was happening because of parents upset with um, overly punitive school policies towards school closures and and mask mandates. Um, I haven't seen anything, you know, that suggests there continues to be an exodus from public schools because of issues like critical race theory.
1: great. All right, let's but I up.
2: can tell you that on the uh, topic of, real quick, okay. uh, I've followed a lot of school boards around the, the country. There's been some states where uh, parental rights candidates for school board won, and other states where parental rights candidates have lost. So it seems to be a mixed mixed bag out there about who's winning this battle.
1: Very good. All right, individual liberties, we talked about that. One of my pet peeves here, I think the ability of big tech and sovereign nations to use citizen information to either advertise or track or socially rate people without their knowledge or consent has dramatically increased over the years. Is the loss of individual liberties and privacy a voter concern?
2: Yeah, it is. Um, but it's not the biggest concern. In a, a, a survey by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy, sponsored by Penn State, um, they did an entire survey dedicated to dedicated to individual freedoms, and they asked an open ended question: "What's your biggest threat to losing your freedoms or liberties over the next ten years?" And the number one answer was freedom of speech, and um, that has a lot to do with um, just the you know pushback from um, the media about what's appropriate to say and not say. What are we allowed to say now? What can you censor on Twitter and Facebook? Um, The second highest I didn't mention was abortion followed by gun rights. So those were the three biggest areas that Americans in this poll said were most concerning to them in terms of liberties potentially lost over the next five to ten years
1: D- did you get any sense especially because i'm saying this in light of uh, what just happened with uh, trump and mar-a-lago is there a, s- a sense uh do you get that from any data or re- or focus groups that voters are starting to distrust institutions like the fbi or the doj because they're operating in a partisan manner
2: oh goodness gracious um there's there is evidence that, um, but again, it's 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 very polarizing. There's evidence some from some of the polling I've looked at that Republicans are very very distrustful of institutions like the CDC and the FBI. Um, Democrats, um, not not to that extent, and independents are, are somewhere in the middle. So you see that partisan gulf on this issue. I think it's too soon to say what impact this FBI raid of Trump's uh, properties in Florida will actually have, but there certainly has been, you know, a brewing, you know, tension in the Republican Party about uh, the infringement of freedom of speech as it relates to Twitter and social media platforms, and I think that's why you saw Elon Musk looking very carefully at the potential of acquiring Twitter. In fact, we tested that in a nationwide poll and Americans by almost a 65-35 margin said they supported Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter if it meant that freedom of speech would be protected on such a big social platform like Twitter. That's interesting. So you're you're
1: saying the freedom of speech issue cuts through both Democrats, Republicans and independents. Yes. Great. Good to hear that. All right. Let me switch to war in Ukraine coming in for a landing here. Is there strong support for continued political and financial aid to Ukraine in in the war against Russia?
2: Well, it's waning. There there was right out of the gate. There was strong support for this um, effort to, to really stand behind Ukraine after the invasion. Which was on February 24th, I believe. Um, I read some recent polling, and, and and that was that was helpful in, in the sense that you know it looked like our country was united on an issue when there's so many dividing us. Although it never really gave President Biden much of a bounce. His polling on handling Ukraine really only overperformed his normal job approval by just a couple of points. But there was bipartisan support for the effort. But I don't know if you really follow conservative media, but they have, they have really come out vociferously against this war in Ukraine. And as a result of that, there's been, there's a growing gulf between Republicans and Democrats on to what extent we have a moral obligation to stand with Ukraine in this war. Um, Democrats and independents still believe we need to be there for Ukraine. They support the sanctions. They support you know, tougher policies against Russia. Um, Republicans are starting to peel away and break off. And that's why you saw, I think it was 10 senators on the Republican side that voted against some of the early versions of the Ukraine package. Because they were listening to conservative talk radio. And, and uh, not talk radio, but conservative uh, TV. And maybe talk radio to some extent. So, um, you know, and the support has actually dropped a little bit in terms of what I've seen from where it was back in February or March.
1: Good. Appreciate that. Let's switch over now. Crime, law enforcement, and homelessness. Is law enforcement and control of homelessness a key issue in the midterms?
2: Yeah, it it sure is. Um, That issue is another one that, so I mentioned earlier in some of the polling by Gallup and ABC News, um, they did a whole litany of issues where they asked Americans, you know, who do you trust more? And what issue will influence you more in your vote for Congress? And on the issue of crime in general, not so much homelessness, but crime and public safety, Republicans have a 47, 35 margin. This is according to the Washington Post ABC poll on the issue of trust for handling crime. And according to the Washington Post, so that's a 12 point differential between 47% and 35. And that is the highest percent um, differential dating back 32 years, according to the poll sponsor here. So crime is certainly one of those issues that seems to be a wedge issue. That will influence voters in November. The problem, I think, in the difficulty is that there's a general consensus in the country, Spencer, that most Americans believe, yeah, crime's up. But there's a lot of disagreement about what's the cause for it. What's the blame for it? Republicans and Democrats disagree sharply on that. And I'll never forget this. I don't know if you follow progressive district attorneys around the country you have one in california gascon that is being potentially recalled this november right
1: yeah they had one in san francisco Uh, that was recalled
2: right but i'm yeah right and now you have one in la county yes that's 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 on the bubble and again it's the same issues it's ending cash bail it's letting violent felons out of jail when uh, prematurely it's um um taking a hard uh stance on on other types of uh of issues it's not prosecuting marijuana um misdemeanors it's things like that and we were the pollster for a pro-police organization last year when larry krasner one of the most prominent district attorneys in the nation in philadelphia was on the ballot he actually and this guy was kind of big time because he had uh you know john legend you know the superstar john legend singer he was doing phone calls for larry krasner larry krasner is a prominent, nationwide known district attorney who was implementing those progressive policies that Gaston is known for and the DA up in, in uh, San Francisco. And he won his primary by a two to one margin. It was a blowout. And our polling showed that even, and this is a big deal, Philly had seen its fifth 500th murder during the primary campaign, 500 murders. The primaries in May, they had 500 just in that year, that 12 month cycle, right? Voters in our poll, and this is a Democrat primary, said, Yeah, we know we've had our 500, 500th murder. That was an all time record for Philly. We asked them in the poll, Who do you blame for it? Only 4% said they blamed the progressive district attorney from Philly for the increase in the murder rate. They blamed COVID, they blamed poverty, they blamed homelessness, they blamed easy access to guns. They weren't blaming progressive policies.
1: So let me, let, let, there, let me ask you something on that. So is because uh, I'm, what I'm getting out of that also from that data is that the uh, personal safety versus ideology. You're saying in many cases people uh, might even it, the ideology might trump their own concern for personal safety. Do you get that out of your your data?
2: Yes, and because even in these um, I, even in these uh, you know in these most of the areas philadelphia you know i mean but for the northeast where it's just crime isn't as rampant but most people in our poll said you know i want more police protection in our neighborhoods um but they didn't believe it was the da's fault who's letting people who's, who ended cash bail and is letting people out early for early lease and not prosecuting certain crimes and going after corrupt cops and has a whole different agenda than a you know a rudy giuliani did when he was mayor of new york city for instance i mean those two could not be more opposite my point is that There's a lot of disagreement over the causes for this increase in crime. So whether you're talking about smash and grab burglaries out in California or, you know, something more sinister like a mass shooting, Republicans and Democrats disagree over the causes of it, which says to me, it isn't necessarily the pivotal consequential issue in November as maybe some voters think. And to add to that, we did a focus group last year and all we talked about was was crime in suburban Philadelphia with swing voters. And we played for these swing voters, the GOP message, which is under Democrat leadership. Murders have gone up 200 percent in suburban Philly, and these swing voters said that's baloney, I don't believe that. So the, my point is the GOP doesn't necessarily have the right message on crime yet, but they certainly are more trusted right now from what the polling shows. Question is, can they convert that into actual votes in their you know, congressional races? I think you're going to see some more surprises on in November out in California.
1: Uh, that would be a surprise, I'll tell you. They did. Uh, there was an election for the San Francisco DA where they recalled that, and I think some voters are fed up. Uh, there's just been there's been uh, an attitude here. I think that 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 government is getting away from the uh, the will of the people. But we'll see. All right, one more issue for me, and then I'll give you a chance to say anything you want on an issue I might have missed. How about uh, transgender sports and and uh, there was the biological male named Leah Thomas who won a woman's NCAA title. Uh, and it seemed to spread, uh, spark a bunch of outrage. People just uh, felt that, uh, even progressives felt that it had gone too far. Is there anything in your polling data that shows that is a line that people don't want to cross? Or is it just a natural evolution of where we're headed as a nation? You
2: know, that's one of those, that is one of those Um, issues that I mentioned earlier when I was talking about some of the issues that his Democrat Hispanics have told me have pushed them away from the Democratic Party. Um, Transgender athletes in sports is one of those. And in our nationwide survey for the Federalist, these are all available online. Your audience can go to www.realclearpolitics.com. We have four polls, Uh, published on there, all the questions, results, wording. We asked a question in one of those surveys. I forget which one it was. Should transgender women who were formerly men be allowed to play the sport according to their preferred gender, or should they have to play according to their birth gender? And this gets to the central issue of obviously competition. And by a a pretty convincing margin, um, most Americans believe transgender athletes should have to play sports according to their birth gender because many people believe it's creating unfair competition. And we didn't see a big partisan gulf there on that question. We just didn't. Um, So it looks like that's another one of those where R's and D's are kind of lined up on the same side of the field, pun intended.
1: Great. Your information is great. Any issues I missed that you think are of interest or are critical to the upcoming uh, November elections?
2: You know, I I think you covered them all. I really do, Spencer. Um, You know, you covered gun control, abortion, um, you know, immigration, parental rights, individual liberties, war in Ukraine, crime. Um, all the biggies. I think those really are kind of the driving issues. I didn't mention before about the war in Ukraine, but that ranks pretty low kind of in relative strength to others. But I think you pretty much have the full list there.
1: Great. You've been uh, a wealth of information straight to the point. I appreciate that. If my listeners want to get a hold of you or contact you or follow you, what would they do?
2: Well, they could um, email me at james at susquehannapolling.com I know that's a mouthful susquehanna s-u-s-q-u-e-h-a-n-n-a-p-o-l-l-i-n-g.com or they can follow us on twitter I guess
1: great all right again I want to thank you I think uh you know you're very you're clear and to the point appreciate the information anything I can do for you please let me know
2: sounds great have a great night
1: thanks Jim you too
2: thank you
0: Thank you for listening to Shear Law Group's podcast, Truth Serum Law, Real Estate, and Everything Else That Matters. For more on the law, go to www.shearlawgroup.com or contact Spencer or Joshua Shear. For more info on real estate, see your real estate broker or agent. Don't forget to mow your lawn, trim your hedges, and pay your mortgage. For more information on everything else that matters, read good books, cultivate good friends that you can share ideas with, pray often, and do not place your hopes in governmental institutions. Write Spencer Shear if you want to argue the points made in this podcast. Finally, this podcast cannot be relied on as legal advice, and SLG disclaims any responsibility for the ideas presented. See an attorney if you have issues or problems related to the subjects mentioned in this podcast. Adios, amigos!